And we actually got arrested in the course of that protest as we committed acts of civil disobedience and sat down and blocked traffic in, in the, on a city street. And we were you know, locked in a cell. And the reason that acts like that are important to do and necessary to do is that it creates a moment of public interest into a debate which too often is sometimes seemingly removed from that which people care about and are calling their elected officials about or even know about. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. In March of 2020, former Governor Andrew Cuomo passed an eviction moratorium, banning landlords from evicting tenants who were unable to make rent. Given widespread job loss at the start of the pandemic, the goal was to make sure that people were able to stay in their homes, the safest place to be amidst the rising number of COVID-19 cases. And later, the CDC issued their own nationwide moratorium. It's since been extended several times. But over the summer, the Supreme Court rejected another extension. They argued that the CDC didn't have the authority to assert another ban. And since then, state and local governments have had to take matters into their own hands to protect the most vulnerable members of our community. Today, Epicenter's podcast production intern, Sam Sacker, speaks with two advocates to learn more about what resources are available for those struggling to navigate an increasingly confusing situation. Soran Mabdani is an assembly member for the 36th district in Queens. He also serves in the state assembly. And Sandy Nurse is a city council nominee for the 37th district of Brooklyn. Both of our guests have been fighting to make sure our at-risk neighbors are able to stay safe in their homes. Before we begin, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey & Company. People who are rich will take care of themselves. They're fine. But people who are regular, you know, I want to see what opportunities can we afford them. That's Jeffrey Seller producer of Hamilton, talking about how he created a lottery to provide $10 premium tickets to give more equitable access to orchestra seats. And by the way, I've never said that out loud before. He's featured in a recent edition of Intersection, McKinsey's weekly newsletter that shares stories about diversity, gender equality, and inclusion. Check out McKinsey's Intersection newsletter at mckinsey.com forward slash intersection. And thanks. Now, back to the show. Here's Sam and Saran. So I guess, yeah, just to begin, it'd be awesome if you could introduce yourself, share what you do, who you are. Uh, so my name is Zaran Mamdani. I am the assembly member for the 36th Assembly District. That is a district that includes much of Astoria, Dittmar Steinway, and Astoria Heights. And I serve in our state assembly, which for those who do not know, are one, one of the two chambers of legislature in New York State. The assembly basically functions as a miniature version of what Congress is on the national level. Uh, can you explain what the eviction moratorium is and how it came about? Yes. So the eviction moratorium was is a moratorium rather that ensures that tenants are not able to be evicted as we continue to feel the effects of a global pandemic. It was originally passed in March of 2020 
and has been extended a number of times as the duration of the pandemic has continued past many an early estimate. And it's something that I am very, very passionate about because the act of evicting a tenant is the act of violence. To put someone out on the street, I would say generally, but especially during a global pandemic, is to subject them to a much higher risk of contracting this disease and generally of losing their life. And so we have most recently, it was last week on Wednesday that we passed an eviction moratorium extender to extend the moratorium to January 15th. And that's something that I'm very proud of and agitated and organized long and hard to to make that a reality. Can you explain that process of fighting for that and advocating for that? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that you do is create a sense of larger scale pressure on the body by organizing outside of the body and getting you know ordinary new yorkers to care and take action about this and so that is one major reason why i joined with 16 other new yorkers a few weeks ago to protest uh, in calling for an immediate reconvening of the assembly and the senate and passing this extender and we actually got arrested in the course of that protest as we committed acts of civil disobedience and sat down and blocked traffic in, in the, on a city street. And we were you know, locked in a cell for a number of hours that day and actually went to court yesterday to deal with that summons. And the reason that acts like that are important to do and necessary to do is that it creates a moment of public interest into a debate which too often is sometimes seemingly removed from that which people care about and are calling their elected officials about or even know about, frankly. And when you bring the clash of the political debate that is typically simply rhetorical, when you bring it out into the street, you're, you're ensuring that people cannot look away from, from what it is that you're talking about. And I assure everyone that I would only do something like this if it was necessary, because I do not wish on anyone to have to go and spend time in a cell. It's not an enjoyable experience. So I would like to ask you more about your experience at those protests. Could you describe the atmosphere and your general experience after and preparing for those? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that the atmosphere was one of tension and anguish and also a sense of resolve and a sense of larger collective and belonging because we were amongst the same people who made this moratorium a reality. In addition to that, we had the Supreme Court, an unelected right-wing, frankly, a racist body that decided to rule on New York State's eviction moratorium and strip it of some of its most critical protections. And so there was also that sense of anguish that because of this body, we were really looking at the very real likelihood of, of New Yorkers not having those protections. And so many of the people at that protest were tenants themselves who are vulnerable to eviction. People who also got arrested with me were also tenants who the only thing that left that allowed them to stay in their homes in the midst of this unprecedented global pandemic was the moratorium because they had not been able to earn the money to pay for their rent. And alongside all of these things is the fact that New York State launched a rental relief program. We had allocated more than $2 billion for this rent relief. And yet, by the time of our protest, I think only 5% of the money had been distributed. So it was this question of, 
We had extended the moratorium to the end of August with the idea that rent relief funds would have been allocated and distributed. And so people could pay for their rent and wouldn't need the state to step in to keep them in their home. That was the real emotion and the context behind the protest and the feeling within the protest. You know, you also asked about how it felt afterwards. I suffer from a little bit of claustrophobia, a little bit of anxiety, as I think most people my age now do. And to be zip tied and put in a van and then transported to a precinct and then put into a cell, it all combines for an experience of, you know, just a small dose of understanding what it means to be thrown into a cage and have the key be, you know, be thrown away. And, you know, then after that, there was a real feeling that while it was horrific, it was necessary because I got so much more response from my colleagues and from other elected officials and from the press around this issue than I had prior, despite all of my verbalizing of the importance of taking action. But I, I am fully prepared to continue to fight around this issue because it's just been unacceptable so far. Thank you. And I'm sorry you had to experience those that time. Just a more general question. What information and resources can you share, provide uh, that could help New York City tenants who need to navigate the situation? Um, so if you live in my district, I would say that you should give me a call at my office. If you do not live in our district, I would suggest two things. One I would suggest is finding your elected official and calling them in their office to ask for assistance and filling this out. And the other is you could call OTADA, which is the agency that is distributing and, and handling the management of ERAP. Um, and, and generally, I would say that there are also many community-based organizations that are working hand-in-hand with elected officials to help individuals apply for this program. I think it would be worth giving them a call and asking them if they can help you with this. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And yeah, I hope you have a great day. As Saran said, he is fully prepared to continue the fight for the housing rights of those who need it most. And he is not alone. Sam also spoke to Sandy Nurse. Here's what she had to say. So I guess to begin, just introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do. Yes. So my name is Sandy Nurse. I am a city council nominee for the 37th district of Brooklyn, which is Bushwick, the eastern side of Bushwick, Cypress Hills, portion of East New York, City Line, and Brownsville, a portion of Brownsville as well. And can you explain what the eviction moratorium is and how it came about? So the eviction moratorium is essentially a a law right now, uh, a temporary law that allows people to stay in their homes, tenants to stay in their homes because of the public health crisis of the pandemic. We had to shut down entire way of life. And so what that created was a situation where people were not able to work. They were not able to go out and earn a living. And what needed to happen was we needed to create a situation where those folks would not be penalized for not being able to pay rent and would not be evicted because of that. Uh, Freelance workers, folks who just don't have a traditional job. What does the extension of the eviction moratorium mean for tenants? I think for a lot of tenants, 
you know, even though there are some things that have come back online, even though there is a lot of people able to work remotely and able to go to work, there are a lot of people who are still not able to, to work and they are struggling. And so the extension of that uh, allows people to continue to have a place that is safe. You know, we are not a fully vaccinated city. We, um, there are a whole swath of people under the age of 12 who will continue, who will continue not to be vaccinated for reasons that that's not clear yet. And so a lot of people still have a very high risk of contracting COVID and having serious health consequences because of it. Um, there are a lot of people who are still very, very vulnerable that if they get it, they could end up in, in need of severe um, hospitalization and potential deaths. On the other hand, there are people who maybe for a few months, maybe for you know four or five months, they couldn't work and they have back rent that is owed. So you have some people who owe 15, 20, $30,000 in rent, and they haven't been working for quite a bit of time. So the ability to have the extension of the eviction moratorium allows tenants to continue to seek relief from the emergency rent assistance program that was put out through the state and, and funded through the federal government. And it allows them to have time to fill out that application and pay their landlord, whoever that may be. But the emergency rent assistance program really has had a lot of challenges in being implemented. Many people have you know, filed their application, completed their application, and the distribution of that funding has not happened. So there were severe bottlenecks that happened under the Cuomo administration. And so many people did not receive the uh, assistance that they were supposed to have. Many uh, landlords did not then get their back pay. So many people are still in a situation where even though relief seemingly was provided, it has not happened at the speed in which it should. So the eviction moratorium is really to continue to allow for time for people to fill out that application, to receive the funding. It prevents people from being evicted. And mind you, there are people who are being evicted illegally right now. I just met a woman last week who is uh, a monolingual Spanish speaker, and she was evicted months ago because she didn't know about the moratorium. She didn't know her rights and the landlord was threatening them. And so they left, they, they had to abandon their apartment even though she was paying rent. So there are a lot of illegal evictions that are happening right now because people just simply don't know what's available to them, both legally and what resources they have. They don't know where to seek help. So we're in a situation where this moratorium at minimum can keep people in a stable situation while the state reorients the and reoperationalizes the ERAP program so that folks can get the need the assistance they need um, and prevent people from being kicked out and, and prevent homelessness um, as much as possible. So uh, you mentioned like people don't really have the information or resources, they're not really aware of them. Um, I was wondering if you could share any that you're aware of or that can be provided to people who need help during this time with the eviction issues. Yeah, of course, um, in situations where you're facing harassment or you're struggling to communicate with your landlord, minimally, you can always call 311 and the uh, New York City 311 system is supposed to connect you with a provider, uh, someone who does uh, legal support for on behalf of tenants. We know that there has been a lot of work done to extend the right to counsel to many tenants here in the city. So there are certain, if you meet certain criteria of need, you can get access to 
uh, legal support for your situation. Uh, and that does come in many different languages. So it is accessible somewhat on that front. Um, but there are a lot of housing organizations that uh, exist here. There are a lot of um, places where people can get support. Um, you can always go to your local community board. There's also your your local representatives. Those of us who are you know, in the in-between space between not being sworn in, but having been, having won our primaries, we're, I think there's a lot of people doing as much as possible to spread that information and uh, connect people with these resources. As someone who's in that kind of like in-between space, there's a lot of organizing that's happening. Um, I saw some articles talking about protests regarding the eviction moratorium. I was wondering if you've attended them and then if you could talk about like the atmosphere. I did join uh, an, an action recently uh, with the Housing Justice for All Coalition, where um, we took action, we risked arrest, trying to stand up for extending the eviction moratorium, especially because of the failures of the distribution and implementation of the ERAP program. And so, you know, the tone is there is a crisis. We have a house, we have uh, multiple crises at once. We have an on a previous chronic housing crisis. We have an economic crisis and we have a public health crisis. So there are many compounding things happening uh, with individuals at the household level. And folks are, like I mentioned, severely behind in their back rent. And many landlords, people who rent out the first floor of their house um, are also um, feeling the pain of, you know, taking care of the building and being on the hook for all of the bigger bills and not getting the income they need to support that. So there's um, multiple crises at once that is creating a real moment of urgency where people need to act. And so the actions that I took apart were really to just kind of sound the alarm, continue to raise the stakes, continue to put pressure on Albany and to really make sure that it's heard. Like we're willing to escalate in order to ensure that people can stay in their homes. So there is a real sense of urgency. And on top of that, we just had Hurricane Ida hit New York City. Many people who are living in, for example, illegal basement apartments who are living there because the rent is cheap, those folks, again, just got hit with some really hard circumstances. And many have lost all of their belongings. So the the urgency is, is very um, important to continue to to create and continue to emphasize and amplify in our actions. And uh, I think as much as possible, people should be trying to support the housing movement. Try to, if you are someone who knows about, you know, knows your rights or knows your, knows what organizations exist locally, like the onus is on all of us to continue to spread that information and to share as much as possible with our neighbors and make sure that people know what's available to them. Sandy talked about the failure of leadership when it comes to deploying funds available through the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. She also mentioned the lack of legislation that protects tenants regardless of the pandemic. It's clear that there's still a lot to do. You can learn more about both Soran and Sandy Nurse and all of the work they're doing by using the links in our show notes. If you or someone you know needs help with their housing, there are resources available. As Saran said, get in touch with your elected official. You can also visit otda.ny.gov to learn more about who qualifies for the Emergency Rental Assistance Program and how to apply. You can also call them directly at 844-691-7368.
And if you are confused by any of this, it is really confusing, then drop us a line. We're your neighbors, and we're here to help. You can reach us at hello at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.